Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. At the time of recording, at least 18 people have been killed in protests in Chile. What began just last week as a protest against a fare hike for the Santiago metro system has morphed into a broad social movement against increasing inequality in the country. From an international perspective, these protests are coming at an inopportune time. Santiago is hosting the next major global climate change conference, COP25, in early December. And prior to that, in mid-November, the city is playing host to the APEC summit, a summit of major economies in the Asia-Pacific region. Needless to say, the government of Sebastian Piñera is coming under increasing pressure to address the concerns of protesters. But as my guest today explains, so far the actions taken by his government have only exacerbated this ongoing crisis. Estefania Labrine Cortez is a Chilean reporter for the newspaper The Clinic. When I caught up with her from Santiago on Wednesday, October 23rd, protests were still ongoing. We kick off this conversation discussing the series of events that led to the almost spontaneous eruption of nationwide protests. We then have a longer conversation about what is driving increasing inequality in Chile, indeed as has one of the highest degrees of wealth inequality among the world's major democracies. And as Estefania Labrine Cortez explains, this is partly due to the legacies of the Pinochet dictatorship in the 1970s and 1980s. And like many of my episodes that discuss ongoing global events, this conversation both discusses the events as they are happening, but also provides you some context for understanding this story as it unfolds. Before we start, I do want to tell everyone that this story came on my radar because Estefania Labrine Cortez reached out to me. She's a listener to the show, as I know many journalists are, and she pitched me on this, and I'm very glad that she did. The lesson here is that if you are a journalist or really anyone working on something interesting that you want to share with the rest of this community, please do reach out. You can do so using the contact button on globaldispatchespodcast.com. I love hearing from you. Also, speaking of journalists from Latin America, the bonus episode I've posted this week is my fascinating conversation with Moises Naim. He is a former minister in the Venezuelan government who for many years served as the editor-in-chief of Foreign Policy magazine. You can unlock that episode and learn how Moises Naim went from being an economist to a government minister to the editor-in-chief of a major international publication by going to patreon.com slash Global Dispatches, or following the links in the description field of this podcast episode. By becoming a premium subscriber, you can unlock access to that episode and dozens of others and help support the show in the process. Thank you. And one final note before we begin from Northwestern University's online master's program in global health. 
you can learn how to make a meaningful difference in places where it is needed most. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com and click on the ad to learn more, or go to sbs.northwestern.edu slash global. And now here is my conversation with reporter Estefania Labrine-Cortez. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. So this protest sparked when the government announced a race in the fair hike. In Chile, in Santiago particularly, the metro station, the subway net, is very important for people that live in here because it diminished so importantly the amount of time that people take to get to their workplace. For example, someone that lives like at the edge of the city can take two hours to get to the place where they work if they go by a bus. But if they take the subway, they only take 30 minutes. So this is the main way that Santiago people move around the city. So when this price went up, and it started to charge 830 pesos instead of the 800 and 800 that it was before. People got really mad, but they didn't say anything for a long time. After a few days, the students got mad and started protesting inside the subway. So what they did was they got together, like I'm talking about like 100 or 200 of them. They got together outside the station and they ran inside and didn't pay the ticket just jump up the turnstiles mm. so a classic maneuver how... by anyone seeking to evade paying fares yeah but the thing is that this was massive so it started with 200 then it was 500 students in the city then it was 1000 students in the city and at what point at one point this came to 3 3000 students in the city so this began last Last Monday was the first day that the students began to do this. So how did this? Well, yeah, uh I mean, so so how did sort of a protest that of jumping turnstiles morph? It seems so quickly into a mass demonstration on the streets, and you know, as many as fifteen people killed. Well, now it's eighteen people killed Hmm. as this uh, Wednesday the 23rd of October. But what happened was that it was very, very badly managed by the government because when students began to do this, they asked the Minister of Transportation, which is called Gloria Hutt, what was happening, why were, this was something that no one has ever seen before and they weren't doing anything about it. And she said that no, but students shouldn't be protesting because the fair hike didn't affect them. It's only for adults. So that's when People get mad because they say, okay, we have a problem. Someone is protesting. We can't do it because we are adults. We have to work. We have to get places. But students are doing it. And instead of giving 
an answer, a possible solution, or maybe even talk about it, say, okay, it's a problem. Maybe we can talk about it and try to fix it. She like criticized the movement. So that's when people started getting mad, but still they didn't do anything. Mark, to understand some part of the society here in Chile, you have to understand that this is a country that lived through a dictatorship during the 70s and 80s. And that dictatorship left the country through a vote. <laughs> This is a very, very, very strange democracy because people voted no to take that dictatorship out. So this isn't a country like any other country in Latin America that has taken out their dictators through march, through protest, through the weapons sometimes. Mm -hmm. In here, this is a very different place. So people are kind of used to getting all the time these things and not doing anything. So what, what do you mean happened, getting what do you mean getting these things and not doing anything? Like this is a, an accumulation of things hmm. because the ticket the fair hike was just a little thing, but instead of that we have a very worrying situation in a, in terms of inequality. Like that's some data that I have like on the top of my head. For example, the minimum wage here in Chile is 301,000 pesos, which is $400. It's very, very low. And you have to consider that this fair hike is $1.14 a day. I mean, a ticket. A day is like $3 in, if you take like two trips, $3 a little less than $3 a day for a person that wins that makes $400 a month it doesn't make any sense so people have been taking all of these things for a lot of years since democracy came back to Chile because even though the democracy came back and the government was kind of closer to the left than to the right anyway the people still got these same things that they got from dictatorship, they got it from the democracy. For example, the retirement system in Chile is very, very, very unequal. And even though it was conceived during the dictatorship, it was during democracy that it was strengthened mm. because the politicians in democracy started to give more money to the system. Mm. So even though the politics that people are protesting right now were born in the dictatorship, They were totally reaffirmed during the democracy. And for all these years, we're talking about more than 20 years, 30 years, no one said anything until this happened. So and that's, that's they, I mean, that's it's just like a very interesting point you, you make. I mean, as you know, um, Chile is one of the most unequal countries in, you know, of the developed world. Uh, and yeah. in, in, in Latin America and, uh, you know, of all like the major kind of democracies around the world, it is one of the most highly unequal. And you're saying that is very much largely a legacy of the Pinochet era. Yeah. That sort of, that it, was baked into the, that, that sort of the inequality that was baked into the Chilean system was done so during, you know, the, the, you know, 25 year dictatorship of, of Pinochet, which ended in the yes. early nineties. Yes, um, that's what I'm saying. But this particular crisis, because people have been protesting since the 90s, it's just that it's small protest, it's in one city protest, it's one group protest. What happened here is that the government gave bad answers, because when the Minister of Economy was asked about this race, he said that people should get up early so that they can take the subway earlier and 
pay less because the, this fair hike affected the most demanded uh, time schedules. So that's when people started to get mad because they say, okay, we have a problem. We're trying to calmly say, please help it. But the government answered with very, very, very poorly thinking of uh, declarations like this, for example, saying people should get up early, saying, okay, so the, the students doesn't don't have any reason to protest because it didn't affect them. So that's how we got to the Friday, the 18th of October. That day, the students just organized in full level. I don't know how they did it. I imagine that with social media, because adults were out of it. And they started jumping up the turnstiles and breaking some of the subway materials that they can work with. So the union of the workers of the metro said, we are overwhelmed by this. We just can't deal with so many people jumping in our station. It's dangerous for them. It's dangerous for us. So we're going to close the subway. And that's when people had to walk to their houses because they weren't enough buses. Like I said, the metro is vital to the transportation here in Chile. So they had to work, walk for hours after work to their houses. And what the government thought it was going to happen is that people was going to be mad and say, oh, these students are just doing crap. And uh, I'm sorry, can I say crap or I have to do it again? You can say crap as much as you like. <laughs> okay. So the government thought that People were going to be mad at the students, but instead what people did was they began to talk to each other. So they realized that everything wasn't fair. That's something that never had happened before. When people were walking, I, I was there. I could see that people started to talk to each other. Mm. Where, where do you work? Where do you live? What do you do? How many kids do you have? How much money do you make? Oh, I make the same as you. Uh, I, I'm in debt. Chile is in debt. Mm. There's some studies from foundations in here in Chile that say that 11 million people in Chile are in debt. So 11 million. So it's, it, I mean, it sounds like the government's response to these initial protests were ham-handed at best, counterproductive. Yeah. Uh, and instead of the sort of population kind of turning against the students, they turned against the government and took yeah. to the streets in these mass rallies. Yeah. And I guess, like, what led to the government calling the army to the streets, which, uh, you know, seems so reminiscent of that Pinochet era? Well, uh, that's something that probably everyone asks because no one has a clear answer. On that Friday, the first thing the government did was to call a law, that it's a law that allows the government to take actions and to pre uh, push charges against the people that do anything wrong with the city. Like and an emergency sort of an, law. Yeah, yeah, like an emergency crisis law. Yeah, but it's softer. It's kind of softer because it's not constitutional. Uh, it doesn't take any constitutional rights from people. Hmm. So people can still walk on the street, they can still have reunions, and they can still do everything normal. But if they do anything wrong, they can take them and then push charges. So that's it's softer. And in midnight that night, he announced this emergency state and military went back in the street. And this happened because this protest didn't stop at eight o'clock. 
They didn't stop at 10 o'clock in the night. They didn't stop at 12. And that's when he said, I, I imagine he must have said, okay, so we have a big problem in our hands. And the reason that the protest got violent in that night is because the president, instead of being in the palace working, he went to eat a pizza with his grandson in one of the most high-class neighborhoods in Chile for one hour. So, he, And he was captured with a picture while he was doing so. So people get mad and people start taking out some things that made noise. We call it cacerolazo, which is banging the kitchenware outside the, the windows. And you could hear it in any place in the city. And that's when he said, okay, this is going out of hands. There's a lot of people mad. There were people, old people marching, people, I'm talking about grandpa, grandparents with their, with their kids. So that's something that had never happened before. And I think he saw himself saying, what can I do to put this down? And then when the military went to the streets, people were even madder, I could say, because people left their houses in protest in the entire country, not just Santiago. We could see it happened from the north to through the south. And it this seems, is a very long country. Well, yeah, I mean, it seems that every response that you've described by the government uh, beget even greater protests and, and that the, these sort of missteps by the government only added fuel to the protest movement. And the reason it spread so quickly was that that image of soldiers on the streets of, of Santiago caused people to get out of their, their homes and protest in other cities throughout the country. Yeah. The thing is that uh, people say, some people say, okay, I can understand he took out the military to avoid anything wrong happening from people because they were also stealing from supermarkets, but in very little cases in on Friday. So people say, I can understand that, but why didn't he say anything about what people were mad about? He didn't say anything until yesterday. Yesterday was Tuesday until Yesterday, he addressed yeah, his so, problems. So, so let's oh, talk about that. Yeah. President Pinheiro, uh, yesterday, as you said, seemed to offer concessions uh, for the first time to this yeah. protest movement, um, you know, to seemingly or at least an attempt to address some of the questions around inequality um, that have sustained this protest. Uh, yeah. What did he offer and how are protesters responding to this this offer? given that this is a, right now a very fluid situation? Well, right now there's a protest as we speak in the center of Santiago because they are not contempt with what the president said. Because let me break it down just point by point. The One of the first things that he said that was more relevant was to increase the retirement fee to the, the elderly because that's one of the most unequal, unequal pays in Chile. People in here in Chile, just to let you know, the biggest suicide rate in Chile is from old people. Old people kill themselves because they don't see anywhere else to go because they don't have any money. So he increased by a 20% this retirement money that they got. But this is equivalent to 20,000 20, pesos, which is like $30 
$35, it's something like that. It's not much, it's not, it's not enough. Because what people have been asking to is to make a change in the system. Instead of only giving them money like now, like here's some money, it's not useful. So people are still in the streets right now as we speak because it's not enough for them. One of the other measures he took was to downsize the the light. We have to pay for the, our light bill, right? The electricity, yeah. Electricity. So this was very high in Santiago and he pulled it down just a little bit, but not in the rest of the country. So people are still like, okay, you put it down just a little bit. It's still very high. We pay a lot of money for everything in here. And so people things like this is enough. Because so like incremental this, sort of addressing yeah. of, of, of what the protesters want, which is rather like more broader systemic reforms. Are, yeah. are, are there like concrete demands yet being made by the protesters? Yes, there's a lot of concrete demands. Most of them, well, the most important one that has been raised in different places has to do with changing the constitution of Chile, which was written during the dictatorship of Pinochet. So what they say is that changing this very important document to every country can help change something, the system, so that it can work better. Um, and through this change, they can change some other laws that I are tied up to the system that it cannot be changed if there isn't a constitutional change change before. Well, what so, kind of yeah, like what would be an example of a constitutional change that these protesters are, are seeking? For example, one of these constitutional changes has to do with uh, the system of the neoliberal, neoliberal. I don't know how to say that. Yeah, neoliberal, English. yeah. Our liberal system laws. For example, the, the enterprises have the power to take the money of the people that work and put it down and invest it abroad. And this is the money for secural social services. This mm. is the money that after becomes the retirement people, the elderly. So that's the first problem. The second problem is that the water in Chile is privatized. You have to pay for it anywhere in the country and we have a lot of places where they don't have any more water. They're running out of water and they don't have any insist since water is a private, something private that you, you can't understand that. Uh, enterprises can use it first and then it comes down to the people. Mm. So that's something that's also constitutional. Consti the people say that this should change to ensure life-sustaining resources like water cannot be private. So that's something that they say, okay, distribution could be private. Some people say, not all protesters, but some people say, okay, we could distribute it in a private way, but water itself shouldn't be private. Mm -hmm. And that's something that they want to ensure through this constitutional change. So it's mostly about cost of living. Um, it sounds like what you're saying is is that a lot of what is sort of tied up in the current constitution affects individuals' cost of living in a very direct way. Yes, that's uh, the main problem that individuals have see have been affected by this in a very important way because it's you cannot live without water. You you cannot no. live without in this society. You cannot live without an education. Because you're going to end up working in a place that it's not going to give you enough money to get through the month. Most people are in debt to buy food. 
I'm not talking about buy a TV, buy a car. People are in debt to buy their own food, and the, they have it so within themselves that the neighbor, they never realized that that's wrong. You cannot have a society that works through debt because in, a, in an economic view, that's dangerous too because it could lead to economical crisis. The day that people say, okay, I cannot pay, no one's going to be able to pay one day and everything's going to fall down. So that's also, they, they are asking for responsibility so, in the economic system. So for, from an international perspective, these protests seem to be coming at a very interesting time. You know, I, I was uh, in, in around the UN in September and I sort of kept running into uh, President Pinheiro at various um, uh, climate-related events in which he was a really oh. a star player there because Santiago yeah. is host of the COP25, the next major <laughs> international uh, climate change conference happening in, in December. So he was really like one of the stars of the show because he was seen as being very progressive on climate issues and, and aggressive on climate issues and was going to be host of this major international conference in six weeks. Mm -hmm. And then there's the APEC, the Asia Pacific Economic yeah. Cooperation um, meeting that's happening, another major international meeting that's happening mm -hmm. in, I believe, like the middle of November. Um, so yeah. you have these two major international conferences happening in Santiago, all within, you know, six to eight weeks from now. Uh, and, and it seems that this is like an opportune time for protesters to, to press for their demands, uh, because yeah. presumably he wants these conferences to, you know, go off without a hitch. Yeah. Uh, well, this was very unfortunate for the government because it wasn't planned. So they must be like, okay, just why now? <laughs> they, I, I imagine that they must be thinking that. But yes, in, in the environment issue in here in Chile is also very important because a few weeks ago um, there was a strike on Friday, the ones that have been going on in all over the world, and it was massive. Uh, a lot of people, to put you in context, the main street of, of Santiago is Alameda. It's very, very long street. And it was filled with people protesting for climate change. So, and also uh, people aren't happy with climate policies of, of President Piñera. But what I can say about uh, both those very important international meetings, it's COP25 and APEC, is that they're very close in time because they thought that this was going to end on Saturday or maybe Sunday, but it's already Wednesday and people are still on the streets on the streets. And I honestly don't see it going down. I mean, going down slowly, maybe, but people are, are, are still mad. So the way that they could turn this down, as most people is asking, like in an immediate measure is to take out some of the ministers that said these things on the TV. And I think, in my personal view, that when these meetings are start starts to get closer to the date, he's going to take those measures to say, okay, so if I have to sacrifice these ministers, I'm going to have to do it so that they, he can have these meetings. That's the only way I can see this can happen. If something like that happens in the government, because the debt number is still increasing, and people are asking for some responsibility from the government. And if it, that doesn't happen, I 
think it's going to be very, very hard to keep calm because also another detail. In a few weeks from now, there's an anniversary of a person, a Mapuche person that died last year. He was murdered last year by the police in Chile, by the military police in the Araucanía region, which is the place where the Mapuches live. And this, and is, this he, is an indigenous group. Yeah, they, but he was a farmer. He, was, he wasn't doing anything. He wasn't <laughs> shooting anyone. He was with a minor in a truck, and he was murdered. And he was murdered on the November 14th last year, and that's two weeks from now. And last year, when he got killed, people went to the streets, and this wasn't happening. People just went to the streets. So you can imagine what's going to happen now, that people are already in the street. People that had never gone to the streets are there now. So... It's going to take like a big, big, big change in the government to slow this down because one of the responsibles of the death of Katryanka, which after includes some lies because they said to the press that he was shooting, that he was robbing, and then videos showed that he was just driving his truck. People are asking for, for, for the exit of this minister since a year ago. So now it's going to become stronger because that's the same minister that is in charge of the military industries right now. And so I. So who, who's the minister? Because it sounds like um, one of the key things to look out for in the coming weeks is whether or not certain key ministers are fired. Um, w what are the ministers that uh, who may be on the chopping block if President Pinheiro really wants to calm this protest movement? What name should listeners be looking out for in, in the coming weeks? So uh, I would say the main names is, of course, the Minister for Transportation, Gloria Hutt, uh, the Minister for Economy, who said that people should get up early. Uh, his name is Fontaine. The Minister for the Interior and Security, Andres Chadwick, which is this one I was telling you about, that was involved with the death of the Mapuche person in Araucanía. And that's about the big three ones, mm -hmm. the most conflicted ones. But there's also a lot of complaints about the Minister for Education, because a journalist in one of the many, 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 many press points asked, asked her, how can you explain to a four-year-old kid why the president just said in TV that we are at war? And she wasn't able to answer, and she just left. So people are also criticizing her because there were students that began with this protest that nobody can forget that. And students have been protesting since the beginning of the year for different matters, and none of them have been addressed by the minister. So, so, that's, so that seems like what we'll, we'll be looking out for. Yeah, uh, well, that's well, the top four. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for your time. No, thank you. Thank you for this call and for listening to me talk so much. No, it's great. I, I <laughs> Thank you. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Estefania. That was a very helpful conversation. Great context for understanding uh, these major protests as they are unfolding across Chile. And yeah, I do wonder if they will have an impact on the major conferences that are scheduled for Santiago in really just, just a few weeks. 
As I mentioned at the outset, please do become a premium subscriber to unlock my conversation with Moises Naim and other conversations with interesting people in foreign policy and world affairs who tell me their life story. And we have interesting digressions about the historic foreign policy events in which their life and career intersected. Each of those are available to premium subscribers. I post at least one a week and I have an archive of over like a hundred of them. So subscribe now and you'll get all of them as they are published. Thank you. See you next time. Bye.